Well, Merry Christmas, Resonate Church. Man, I love you guys so much. Hey, if you don't know me and I'm an unfamiliar person to you, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Resonate, um, and I have the distinct privilege to be a part of this service. Uh, This service is packed. There are many people. And if you are a guest, if you are a family member of one of our family members, hey, I just want to welcome you and say I honor you. Thank you for raising up such great sons and daughters. Grateful for you. They contribute to our church in ways that I think would surprise you. And they're immensely gifted, and they are disciples of Jesus. And I think every parent who is a Christian, their greatest dream essentially is to see their children um, live out their faith in radical ways. And your children are doing so. And I'm grateful for you. So thank you for joining us today. Um, This is a really not a service, but an experience. So I'm going to do my very best to not bore you, okay, um, which means I'm going to go as short as I possibly can, which is not promising a lot, and so I should say that you should be careful of putting a lot of expectations on me, because short is the only way that you describe my height and not anything else, especially my sermons. Um, listen, I was um, planning something. I came in last night uh, to the office. And I, I have planned a, a service of, of what I wanted to teach on. And we have like a planning meeting where we talk early in the week what I'm going to teach on. And I went over everything that I thought I was going to say until this morning service happened. I want to share with you, for those of you who are here, uh, something miraculous happened across all of our campuses. Just today alone, 74 people crossed the line of faith and got saved. Um, 74. And, and on Thursday, Thursday, seven more people got saved, which is a miracle in itself. And, and, and some of you are here today, and I'm just, I'm just struck by that. And I, I just can't move on. I can't pretend my life is the same after experiencing the Lord um, just mightily move in these people's lives where they will profess their faith to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and go from death to life forevermore. And I think, I think if we saw 70 people rise out of the grave, you'll be like, oh my gosh, like, what the heck, right? And, and at the same time, we, when we see people make a spiritual step, we just don't think much of it. And I just want to tell you, um, it is the greatest miracle I've ever seen in my life. I've seen many miracles, physical miracles, and I've seen spiritual miracles. There's no greater miracle than seeing people go from death to life, feeling the call of Jesus Christ and saying yes to him. And so I'm incredibly grateful for that. And and I'm so moved by it that I ended up just sharing, uh, changing my topic of what I wanted to share with you. 81 people being saved. I think there are even more people that got saved. They just weren't identified. And so what I want to talk about is I was going to talk about uh, Luke 2 where the shepherds, and we, I talked about the shepherds this morning and primarily addressing non-believers. And I was going to address the believers through the shepherd's lens. But today I want to dial back nine months before that. Do you know, and here's a theological scholarly question uh, for all of us here, uh, because we're all nerds, and um, uh, just asking you, do you know who the first Christian ever was in the Bible, the very first Christian? When I say Christian, I mean responding to Christ. You know who that was? The answer is Mary. Mary was the very first Christian. Actually, 
you know, people, professors, uh, seminary professors and scholars all would say that Mary responded to the incarnate Christ first. And in fact, her account of her salvation is found in Luke chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, and I don't pretend you do, uh, but go ahead and uh, flip your phones into, and turn it, on, uh, turn, turn it open to uh, Luke chapter one. And I'm just gonna read a few passages. And here it resonates because the only portion of this service or this experience, the only inerrant point in time is us reading God's word. Would you please stand for the reading? in reverence for God and his goodness and his kindness to us. And, and, um, and I'll pray that the Holy Spirit once again shares something with you that is far better than what I'm about to say in the next 15 minutes. Luke chapter one, verse 26 through 50. Uh, this is called the Magnificat, if you don't know. This is a song that Mary sings and that's Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord. And this is the account, Luke 1, 26 through 50, this is the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came out to her husband and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And dropped down and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That is the word of the Lord for tonight, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. Please have a seat. I just want to really quickly highlight here three experiences of Mary once she was converted. In a sense, once she became a Christian, these are the feelings that she had. And if you are a Christian in this room tonight, these are something that you could experience. Perhaps you could identify with, perhaps you could appreciate, and perhaps you could give thanks to. The first is that she was wholly consumed. She was consumed. And you look at verse 46, it's, she first announces and says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in me. That's what she says, in God my savior. And so look at what the soul is and what the spirit is. In the Bible, those two things are rather interchangeable. They're not two separate things. It's not like, oh, my soul magnifies, but my spirit rejoices. It's not that. It's that my soul and my spirit my whole entire being rejoices. It magnifies the Lord. And it is an old Semitic ancient way of expressing uh, the intensity of something. Just like this morning we talked about in Luke 2, 
where the uh, shepherds were encountered by angels and they initially were fearful. But when you read that passage in Luke 2, it says they were fearfully fearful. Or in the English translation, they say greatly fearful, but the Greek, it says phobios phobe, which is greatly, greatly, greatly fearful. And here, Mary is saying, this encounter with Jesus, this Lord, this favor that is upon me, it's consumed me to the core. I, I am not the same. Like many people today, of 81 people, they could say, I'm not the same. I'm changed forever. The fact that I am saved, the fact that God would grace me with his salvation, I can't live my life as if that didn't happen to me. I can't go about my day as if, like, this is normal news. And I I would just say, for all of us, if we found out that we all won Powerball tonight, I don't know, a gazillion dollars, money that you cannot waste or spend because it's so much. I think some of us would faint and some of us would drool. Some of us would go crazy. Some of us would have an Oprah moment where we're like flipping tables and chairs and like rejoicing like crazy. Some would hyperventilate. Some would like, I don't know, die. I don't know what you guys, it'd be crazy. We, it would be a huge ruckus here. Um, I remember when my son, I have, I have three kids, and my oldest son, when he was 10, I remember him sitting at the parking lot and pondering something. My, my oldest is quite pensive, and I, I knew he was thinking of something. So I sat next to him, and I was like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? And he's like, I'm okay, Dad. What do you have in mind? He goes, Dad, what do you think the greatest temptation of man is? Uh, are you testing me, son? Because uh, I should probably know the answer because I'm a pastor. I'm like, and when you don't know the answer, I'll tell you, parents, uh, here's a good trick. Just ask the same question to them. <laughs> what do you think <laughs> is the greatest temptation of man? And he goes, well, dad, I think it's power, money, and fame. And I'm like, correct. <laughs> correct, good job. And he's like, but dad, like, I'm not tempted by those things. I'm like, why? Because he said, you know what? Like, um, I have the greatest power in the world. Many people try to live long in this world, and I have the power to live forever. I was like, oh, okay, all right, good answer. He goes, dad, I'm the wealthiest of all. He goes, why? He goes, though people have lots of money here on earth, Jesus said, I will get his inheritance. I'm like, oh my, preach, you little boy, preach. (laughs) And he says, dad, I'm the most famous, not because you're my dad, but I'm famous because I am the son of the almighty king. I'm like, preach, boy, my goodness. And I told him, when did I teach you all this? And he goes, oh, you didn't. (laughs) You didn't teach me. My Sunday school teacher did, which is... Quite amazing. So you think about that. He has a new identity. He has new kind of inheritance. He has all of eternity. How does one respond to gifts that have been given to that, to that magnitude? And let me just say, tell you right now, if you're a Christian that has received those things, not on your own account, but something has been given to you, namely through the faith of Jesus Christ, I don't think we'll sing the same. 
In fact, this is what Mary finds herself in. She feels chosen. She can't believe that she's been handpicked by God. She's saying, me? No way. And she sings this Magnificat as to say, blessed are you, blessed are you, Lord. That's what he sings. Here's the second thing that I think um, just marks an experience of a believer that we see Mary going through, a wonder-filled humility. I, I just tend to think that there's no Christian ever in this world that should be prideful of their walk. I, I, just, I just think if you smell pride in a Christian, they, I think, might not be a Christian. Because a person who demonstrates the kind of pride always is associated with the kind of work that they think they're doing, opposed to the work that's been done to them. And I just want you to see Mary in her response here, which is marvelous. She says in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. She didn't say, man, I did a good job. No, she said, my, my soul magnifies and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. What is she doing? She's looking upon generations and generations on end. And she's thinking, my goodness, from the, from the former to the future, everything is focusing on me and everything has come to me and it is for me. I can't believe out of all the people in the world, it's fallen upon me. I just can't believe it. And she can't act normally. She wound the Powerball. She's like, my goodness, this is a spiritual Powerball. And the Bible says one of the marks of a real Christian is that there's always a surprise. There's always a surprise. And that really shows you whether you understand the essence of the gospel or not. Because what is the essence of Christianity? If you say Christianity is just going to church and you're, you're doing a certain kind of uh, moral life and you're operating under a certain creed and there's just no humility about you and there's no surprise about you because Christianity is what you are doing. And don't you know some Christians like that where, where there's no surprise, they, they feel like they found themselves and they're operating out of their own faith and, and so they're good. And so there's no element of surprise, there's no element of joy because it's all about what they're doing opposed to what's been done to them. But... If something is done to you, then there's always like, I can't believe it's true. I can't believe it's me. You know, Isaac Watts wrote this song. He, he says, when I survey the wondrous cross, it means when I think about the cross, when I really meditate on it, on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain, I count, but lost. He's saying, whatever I have in this world, nothing compared to that. And listen, and poor contempt on all my pride. You see that, you know what contempt is? It's hate, right? He's saying, pour contempt on it. Like, I want to pour contempt in everything that I could be prideful in because I have nothing to be prideful of. Why is Isaac Watts so full of wonder? Because he can't believe that this grace fell upon him. You see, there are two thoughts of Christianity. One is that we find God. The other one is God finds us. And if you think you found God, there's no surprise. There's no wonder in your life. But if you think God found you, oh my, oh my, oh my. Just like Mary, you're like, I can't believe it landed on me. I can't believe you found me. There's a lot of joy. There's a sense of like revelation. Could I tell you, Christianity could be defined by grace and revelation. 
not duty and information. It's not like you get the information and say, oh, now I got it now. No, because all the unbelievers in the world is not acting out of a lack of information. And here's, here's I think, where we get really not humble. We think somehow if we weren't believers today, we will eventually become believers. No, that's already operating out of what you think you will do, opposed to God finding you. So listen, it's not out of an information, it's out of revelation. Something's been revealed to you, and therefore you're operating and responding out of that revelation, and it's often wonder, and it's really humbling. And this is what Mary finds herself in. She can't believe it. She can't believe it's her. I'll give you another example. You know, I'm kind of the type of person who is like really anal, retentive, and I love details, and I love having everything all organized. And if you look at my office, it just feels like nobody's ever there. It's kind of like a museum. It's a little sterile, I admit, you know, but everything's organized. And you know, and I, I never forget my backpack coming to work all the days of my life. But one day I did. I left my backpack and I came to the office and I'm like, where's my backpack? And I'm like, well, where could it be? It's not in my car. It has to be in my home. And so I was just like, oh, I have to go back. And I drove back. And sure enough, as I scurried and looked for it, I found my backpack with all the drinks and things that I was bringing. I left my backpack right next to the washer and dryer in the garage. I'm like, silly me. Well, I'm glad that I found it. Hugh, what a relief. That was my response. Now, consider another time that I lost my backpack. Um, Last November, I went to Korea for the first time. I took my kids for the first time. And and we went with two other Resonate family members with their kids. And I was like the main navigator. And we took the city bus. They're like, let's take the taxi. I'm like, no, let's make it harder. <laughs> and we took the city bus in a crowded city bus going to our hotel in a strange city that I've never been to. And man, I was just trying to get the directions and turning on like GPS to make sure that we're getting off the right exit. And it was like a little chaotic and right like, oh, this is a stop. This is a stop. Everybody out. Everybody out. You know, I'm, only, I'm the only one speaking English, really shouting when everybody's really quiet. And it was kind of embarrassing. But I'm like, no, everybody out. All the kids and everything shuffling with all of our luggages we got it out and I left and we're walking towards our hotel. We probably walked for about a quarter of a mile for those of you who were there. Some of you, you know, we we walked and all of a sudden the bus comes and parks right next to me, opens the door and the driver says, you forgot this. And it was my backpack. My backpack had my computer, my passport, my wallet, all my cash, everything. And I'm like, I didn't even realize that I lost my backpack. And this bus driver who had his own route didn't just keep going. He thought, no, I got to find this dude. I got to get his backpack to him. So he asked the entire patrons of the bus, could we go back and find him? And they all said, yeah, let's go find him. So they found me. They found me and they gave it to me. I literally fell to my knees. I'm like, oh my gosh. It wasn't, phew, what a relief. It was more like never in a million years have I would have found it. Never in a million years. Now, let me ask you a question. What would prompt more joy for me to say, phew, you know, what a relief. Or never in a million years would I have found it. Which prompts more joy? And I want to compel you to believe that every person who's a believer today 
And I just don't even care like how close you feel like to the Lord right now. (laughs) But if you know of Jesus and you believe him and you put your faith in him, he knows you. And you might have left him, but he hasn't left you. And he's near you. The fact that you are here joining your family. God is at work in you. I believe it to my core. And that is not a, oh, what a relief that I was born into this family. No, it's like, wow, in a million years, I wouldn't have chosen this for myself. And that is what the Bible says Christianity is about. Listen, you're not a Christian because you're smarter, more moral, you're better looking or whatever. You're a better person than your neighbor. Okay, you did not discover the gospel. The gospel discovered you. The father chased you down. He showed up over and over and over again. And for those of us who believe that we found Christ, by the way, when you share a testimony, try your best to not say that. Oh, I found Jesus. No, you didn't find Jesus, nothing. (laughs) Jesus found you and you responded to his grace. You've responded to his favor. Did Mary find the angel? Did Mary find God? No, God found Mary. And that's why she's filled with wonder and great humility. The great pastor and scholar George Whitfield said, if we deny the teaching of divine election, we must partly at least glory in ourselves. And this is why Isaac Watts is full of wonder. Poor contempt on all my pride, man. There's nothing that I've done good. Nothing that I deserve that I get to have this. So let me just ask you a simple question. Are you blown away by your salvation? Are you just struck tonight? I mean, we're singing together with family members, and that's great. It's wonderful. It's cute, and all that is great. But are you just blown away and awestruck? Are you in wonder, humbly just saying, my goodness, I can't believe I'm actually a believer. I can't believe that I have this kind of inheritance, this kind of eternity, this kind of identity, that I'm a son and a daughter of the almighty king. Mary says, this blessing for me? So there's this great sense of humility and wonder in her life. Do you say this magnificent gospel for me, for all? Do you say that? Do you, you know, have you ever sang the song Amazing Grace? You know how it goes. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You know, I think many Christians sing the version that says, I was, was once lost, but I found him. And, and I was blind, but I cured myself. That's not called amazing grace. That, that song is more like, look at me, the amazing. <laughs> that's, that's not Christianity. Christianity is amazing grace. I was once lost, but... Now I'm found by Christ, was blind, but now I see. And the last thing that I think um, Mary's experiencing here is love driven by fear. Look at this, uh, because I think fear is an interesting word. Verse 50, and his mercy, Mary says, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You know, the psalmist says the same thing here. Look at the parallel here in verse Psalm 130, verse 4, I think. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Do you see that? Do you see both places where mercy and forgiveness leads to fear? Well, what is that all about? Could I explain it quickly this way? One of the biggest differences between a Christian and a religious person is how they fear God. A religious person fears out of law, which means if you break it, you fear what God's going to do to you. 
But Christian, fear not out of law, but out of love. And what that means is that their primary motivation to obey God is not because God's gonna do something bad to them. Oh, if I don't do this, then God's gonna curse me. God's not gonna bless me. God's not gonna do this. God's gonna mess up my golf game today. Whatever it is, that's, not, that's, that's law. A Christian, a true Christian who knows that they're found, they operate out of love. And their fear is out of love. And their fear is not so much what is going to be done unto them, but what they might do to a God that loves them. And they really fear that. They're like, I, I don't want to hurt you because if this grace is true and real, I, I just don't want to ever, ever hurt you, ever. And it's just, not too long ago, I've, I've had a moment where I called on my kids and I just had a confession moment. I told all my kids what a terrible dad I thought I was to them and specifically was confessing a sin of, of this just kind of back-end, weird, subversive pressure that I was putting on my children. And I was like, would you please forgive me? And I was just in tears. I wasn't expecting to cry. I wasn't looking for sympathy. And I was just like, just like saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I didn't affirm you this way. I'm so sorry that um, I'm leading you this way. I'm so sorry that I've demonstrated my life at home in a way where you feel like the only way to succeed in life is to work harder, work harder, work harder. I'm so sorry for that. I'm sorry that I haven't given you the kind of freedom. And I'm just weeping. And all I I feel is like my daughter touching my hands. And she grips it and she goes like this. She goes, Daddy, whatever bad thing that you think you taught us, it didn't stick with us. (laughs) The only only thing that stuck are all the good things. Right, guys? (laughs) Right. Try to convince the older brothers. <laughs> one's picking his nose and the other one's silent. <laughs> and I remember uniquely feeling her grace and thinking, little girl, daddy will never wants to hurt you ever again. I just never hurt one. See, I fear her out of love because I love her so much. I just don't want to harm her, don't want to harm him. And if Christ... Everything that we spoke about this morning and tonight is true. If Jesus loves you and he chased you down and he loves you forevermore, that you are a daughter and a son of a king, almighty king, you have his inheritance, meaning all the stuff in heaven is yours. That's incredible. And that you get to live eternally forever and ever and ever. You know how many people spend money on vitamins? to live like two months more, we're going to be able to live forever and ever. And if that is a God, and the only way that happens is he sacrifices life for you, you look at him and say, hey, I, I never want to hurt you again. You see, this is why Mary said, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Can we dim the lights? Um, also in Hayward, would you dim your lights? And, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Not fear that God is going to do something to you, but the kind of fear that has been applied to you now saying, God, you're too good to me. I never want to disappoint you or hurt you because I love you and you've loved me so well. And so this tradition started all the way back in 500 A.D., 
lot of children come to this service because they get to play with fire at church for the first time. Many of us come because this is a family time. But today, could I just compel you to just be mindful that you are here because God found you. And God pursued you. And he did not stop until he rescued you. And here and in Hayward, as you are watching now, we're going to do this candlelight service. In a dark place, from the outside, a light came in. It wasn't part of the world. It was from the outside. His name is Jesus. And he will repel darkness. And he will be the light. And that light has now been given to us. And, And I always imagine the Bay Area and love this place so deeply. And I would love to see it more brighter, more joyful place. And I see just Christians being a light everywhere you go at work, in your city, even Milpitas, people, Christians, whatever. It'd be great. Man, like, what if we're the light? And today, both in Hayward, online, here, we're going to see and light, and we're going to see all this light start from a little flicker, one, namely, the light of Jesus. And we're going to pass it on from generation to generation, as Mary would say. I love you so much. Thank you for being here. And we're going to sing and close with the last song. So let's do that. Let's pass on the candle. Pastor Will and Hayward, would you do that? And we'll do it here. Would the leaders come up here to pass the light?